Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. Turning now to a stunning development in Special Counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation, the arrest of Roger Stone, a longtime Republican strategist and sometimes confidant of President Trump for obstruction, witness tampering and false statements. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders responded to a reporter's question about whether the president encouraged any of Stone's alleged illegal activity. That is probably one of the more ridiculous and insulting questions to accuse the president of the United States of asking someone to break the law. Um, That is, frankly, it's just insulting. It's just not true. Joining me is Brad Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid. Brett, looking at the indictment of Roger Stone, tell me on a scale of one to 10 how important this is for Mueller's investigation. Well, this is pretty much what I would say is an eight. You know, the way I read this indictment, this is the speaking indictment. Robert Mueller's team laid out a lot of facts in the background that weren't actually necessary or critical to the underlying charges, which were all process crimes. It was obstruction, you know, false statements, witness tampering. But he provided all this background detail about what Roger Stone was doing during the campaign, in particular, how senior officials in the Trump campaign, which as far as later reporting is borne out, was Steve Bannon, were directed to coordinate with Stone on all WikiLeaks-related matters, which, of course, brings out the question, this is what Mueller is hinting at, who was the person who directed Steve Bannon to coordinate with Stone? There's probably about five people on the planet who could have directed Steve Bannon to do anything. All of their last names are either Trump or Kushner. So this is Mueller hinting at what where this is going, hinting at what he's got coming down the pike. He did this indictment. He could obviously amend it, get a superseding indictment. If Roger Stone decides not to cut a deal, what the question remains is how much does Roger Stone have and what would he be willing to cut a deal for? Now, Roger Stone came out of court on bond of $250,000. He said that he will not, quote, bear false witness against the president. He did not answer whether or not he would cooperate with the Mueller investigation, saying his lawyers hadn't been contacted and he didn't want to address that. Do things change when you've been arrested? Absolutely. Your calculus changes. And this is even the first time we've heard stuff like this from a Trump associate. Remember what Michael Cohen used to say, I'll take a bullet for the president. You know what? The moment indictments show up, the moment you face the prospect of time in a four by four cell without your freedom, your calculus changes. Roger Stone is not a young man anymore. He's 66 years old. He doesn't want to spend his twilight years in a four by four cell. Once the shock of this immediate moment has worn off and the prosecution team from Mueller's office coordinates with his defense attorneys and lays out a lot of their evidence, a lot of which I bet you is not in this indictment yet, there will be a choice for Roger Stone to make. Is it worth it? Is he ready to take the fall or is he going to cooperate? No one's going to ask him to lie. If he's got reliable, legitimate, corroborated material evidence he can provide Mueller's team, They'll take it. They'll look to cut him a deal. If he doesn't have anything, there's no deal to be made. And that's always a $64,000 question. Roger Stone loves to bloviate. He loves to hype. He may not actually have anything else to provide. And if that's the case, then he's going to go to jail. What about his contacts with WikiLeaks? There is no specific charge related to that. Correct. But what was laid out in the factual background 
provided some of the elements of where you could see a potential criminal charge or two coming down the pike. There's a potential for, because it outlined how the campaign, specifically senior campaign officials, are directly using Stone as an intermediary to get advanced knowledge and to coordinate production of hacked materials from WikiLeaks. There's a potential criminal conspiracy charge there regarding campaign finance felonies in terms of securing something of value from a foreign national, a.k.a. Julian Assange, for the purpose of influencing the election. And there's a potential criminal conspiracy to defraud the United States charge in terms of interfering in the administration of the election by bringing in hacked, illegally hacked information. These are two potential criminal conspiracy charges that could be brought out in superseding indictments. What remains to be seen is what else does Mueller have? Does he believe he's got enough to actually make that charge stick as a matter of law and in court? And is he holding on to that as leverage to try to see if Stone will crack and will make a deal to cooperate? Now, Stone's arrest was different from the other arrests in the Mueller investigation. FBI agents arriving at dawn, then executing a search warrant. And when he was outside the courthouse, he said he was terrorized. Of course, he also said that FBI agents were extraordinarily courteous. What does it say that Mueller did not allow him to turn himself in? They had a real legitimate fear, as outlined in a motion that was separately filed. That's why the indictment was originally under seal. They had a legitimate fear that Roger Stone would run, that he would destroy evidence and he would flee. And Roger Stone because of his reputation. He is the political dirty tricks guy. He's not Paul Manafort. He's not Rick Gates. Roger Stone's ethos, his MO, is dirty tricks. The government could not take that risk. What the public saw with that pre-dawn raid, that is not usual, but it's not unusual either. That happens a lot in various criminal cases. It happens when you have a suspect that you can't risk them fleeing, you can't risk them destroying evidence. The amount of people involved, that's entirely routine. It doesn't happen a lot with white-collar criminals. It tends to happen for more blue-collar, more drug-related or gun-related charges. But it is still a normal part of police enforcement. You just don't see it every day. And so people went, oh, my Lord, it's so shocking. No, it's really not. Roger Stone did not answer questions about whether he was waiting for a pardon or he would ask for a pardon. Could that be in the back of his mind? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're Roger Stone, especially if you think that this is all just federal charges and mostly just process crimes, there's an element to which you're wondering how long can you hold out? How many how much money do you have saved up to try to toe the line, get the president to pardon you? And you can spend the next 15 years making money in speeches talking about how you stood up for Donald Trump. All right. Thanks so much, Brad. As always, that's Brad Moss. He is a partner at Mark Zaid. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.